What's going on, Velocity Church? I'm here on the beautiful campus of Florida International University in the place where I grew up, sunny South Florida. I absolutely love this campus. It's where I graduated from, where I made so many memories, even made some lifelong friendships, and I'm actually even doing my graduate program here online. Now, college for many people is where they experience so much change. I know I experienced a lot of change in my days here at FIU. For some, it's where they find independence, first time away from home. For some, it's where responsibility is thrusted on them for the very first time in their lives. For many, it's where they finally find their purpose. Some even meet their spouse in college. And for some people that grew up in small towns, it's the first time that they're introduced to a diverse crowd of people who think and have grown up differently than they have. Are you tracking with me? College can signify so much change. Now change is a word though that draws out different emotions from different kinds of people. I recognize that this room may be separated by two kinds of people. If you're like me, you love change. Give me all the change in the world, man. I'm always in for something new, to shake things up. I'm even fascinated by how actors and actresses can change and shape their bodies for a new role in a movie. But some of you in the room, you prefer a bit more structure. It's not that you hate change, but you like to be able to plan a slow change with as much details and warning as possible. Am I right? But over the years, I've learned that if you're following Christ, change is not an option. From the moment you say yes to Jesus, he comes in, no warning, and flips everything upside down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Paul here teaches the great principle of regeneration. Jesus Christ changes those who come to him by faith and who are in Christ. The saved are not just forgiven, they're changed into a new creation. Being a new creation, though, doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we are changed and that we're constantly being changed. You see, life change happens at the moment you begin a relationship with Christ. You have been rescued. And we see that in the scripture and context that change is good and to be longed for and to be craved and pursued. As human beings, we're in desperate need of change. But what happens when daily temptations, unhealthy habits, and distractions from following Jesus leave you feeling overwhelmed and stuck in the same discouraging patterns? Let's lean into God's Word to find out not just how to get a hold of that change, but how to hold on to the changer himself, Jesus Christ, so that he not only changes us, but continues to mold us and shape us to be more like him. message the power to change the power to change 
so how many of you guys in the room would say you like change, like you enjoy change and get excited? The few and the proud, all right, the few and the proud. I like it, I like it, I like it. Well, I personally love change. Matter of fact, I bet that I love change more than you do. I love change so much that I moved from, from Florida to Kansas. Like, that's a crazy big change. I like change so much that I met, I met a girl in March, got married to her in September. My wife is here. We got a picture of us uh, here on the screens. But man, all within less than six months. Yeah, man, clap it up, clap it up. We look good in there. We look, really, we look really good in there. But man, I seriously love change, right? But during the season, whether you like change or not, you've had to deal with change. I mean, one day you were working and the next day we were on lockdown. One day you were going to class, the next day you found out that classes were being moved to fully online. No matter who you are, in 2020, we've all had to deal with change. And now that's change in the bad way, right? Those of you that raised your hand, I'm sure none of you guys wanted that. You, you're talking about good change. You want good change, am I right? You want good change. So you see there's two kind of changes, right? The change that gets us excited, it's fun, it's refreshing, it's new. And then there's the change that you just kind of have to deal with, like changes in 2020 uh, that came on us. And the uh, reason why I thought about good change is a couple weeks ago, uh, somebody in the lobby, one of our college girls that attends our church here, uh, that's part of one of our groups, we'll call her Jessica for the sake of the message, right? Man, she came up to me in the lobby, and she had this look on her face, like she looked refreshed, like she, she was looking brand new. And I asked her, man, what's going on? And then she said, you know, I haven't felt this refreshed in my walk with Christ in a while. Now, I don't know what it was, but I felt so joyful for her. I, like, I was partaking in that joy with her. But I was also a bit surprised. Because that's not the kind of change you hear about in this season. It's very rare in this season that I'm meeting people that are embarking in new, exciting changes, really. There's not, many, that, there's not much good news or good change happening in this season. So when I heard about Jessica and I saw her so refreshed, I was excited but also surprised. And it got me to thinking, man, what is good change? How do we hold on to good change? How do we get a grasp of good change and grow in that? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 kind of breaks it down for us, right? I mean, in this season, people are more hungry for good change than ever. I, met, I meet non-Christians. They want good change. And I also meet seasoned Christ followers who are longing for what Jessica just experienced, being refreshed, that good change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this. It says, if anyone, if anyone, meaning anyone, it doesn't matter what class, what nationality, what language, anyone is in Christ, meaning that that person has surrendered to Christ, has unified with Christ, has been placed under his authority, has placed our hope and trust and reliance in him. He's a new creation. Now, this isn't just turning over a new leaf or getting your act together. New here in the Greek implies a new nature quite different from anything previously seen, not just merely recent, but fundamentally new, brand new. 
So being in Christ means that there's this, there's this freshness about us. There's this newness. There's this, this noticeable change that happens inside of us. My 90s babies, this is better than, than Steve Urkel turning to Stefan Urkel. Family matters, 90s babies, I like it. This is better than Steve Rogers coming out from that machine as Captain America. This is better than you walking into a room and somebody's saying, have you been working out? It's better than that. It's fundamentally new kind of change. The same kind of change that turned Paul from a Christian killer into writing more than half of the New Testament. Same kind of change that, that turned Peter from a coward to boldly proclaiming the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the kind of change that everyone notices. You walk into a room and you feel it. You see it. It's there. Now, here's where this change originates from. As, as we looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as soon as you place your hope in Christ, as soon as you've allied yourself with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and changes you. This is not just becoming a little bit more nicer. This is not becoming more moral. It's fundamentally new. What Christianity says is that the moment you accept Christ, you fundamentally become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The Holy Spirit comes in and changes you from the inside out and nobody can deny it. But if you can be honest, maybe for you what I'm talking about sounds like a foreign concept. You want to change, but you're just not feeling it. Year after year, month after month, week after week, you try these, these new things, but you're just not changing. You get stuck in the same rut. And change doesn't seem possible. And maybe you've been a Christ follower even for many years. You've been a seasoned Christ follower. But the change I'm talking about for you might feel like it was many, 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 many years ago. I remember when I first became a Christian. And you see new believers with this fire inside of them. You're like, man, they're so naive. Give them a couple of years. You're almost cynical to change. You're cynical to newness. You're cynical to freshness and this change that I'm talking about. And I kind of understand why why we feel like that, because yes and amen, we're new creatures. Yes and amen, we're fundamentally made new. But there's still a war. Yes and amen, we're made completely new, but we're still sinners. We have these two things going against us. There's a war. There's an enemy waging war on you, and you're also naturally a sinner. Isaiah 53 Verse 6 says this, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What makes us sinners is that we want our own way. We want our own way more than we want God's way. We don't want God. It's programmed in us to rely on ourselves. And on top of that, there's a war. There's an enemy waging war for your family. There's an enemy waging war for your peace. There's an enemy waging war for your soul. 
So for us to actually choose God, it's almost near impossible. We need God to choose God. Choosing God is, doesn't just happen by ourselves. We need God to put that desire inside of us for us to want him more than we want ourselves. It's impossible to live for God without the help of God. We're not very good at getting ourselves unstuck. And until you have the spirit of God inside of you, you can't choose God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, we were on the road to sin and death. We were screwed up. We were in bondage. But verse 4, oh, verse 4, says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy, saved us in the midst of our brokenness. When we were stuck in bondage, when we wanted ourselves more than we wanted God, God, being rich in mercy, came in and made us alive in Christ. This is the best story the best opportunity you'll ever hear about. This is the greatest hero story in the history of mankind. That while we were still sinners, while you were stuck in your own way, that God came, rich in mercy, and made you alive in Christ. This means that no matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how deep in sin you think you are, you're not too far gone for God. Because it is in his work that he makes you alive in Christ. And now every single day, we have the power to choose life because of Christ. When we align ourselves with Christ, we have the power to live the way that God wants us to live because of God. Now, this next thing I'm about to tell you, if I have any point in this message, grasp this. Change is a journey. Change is a journey. You see, although you've been changed, we talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you've been made new, you've aligned yourself with Christ. There's a change that happened at that moment. Although you've been changed, that's not the end of it. You're still being changed. That change that happened was just the beginning. It's to start something new. Backtrack with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. The verse before that starts off saying he anointed us that moment that we had with Christ, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So you see, there's an explanation of a moment that's to come. There's an explanation of what's to come. It says, leave that verse up there, it says, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. That there was a deposit being made. When you make a deposit, there's more to come. His spirit, that change that happens in us, was just a deposit. There's more to come, guaranteeing of what is to come. Meaning that we've been changed, yes and amen to that. We've been made new, but that was just the beginning. That was simply a deposit. There's still more work to be done in us. 
is this, is this concept that I want you to understand, not fully grasp, but that you've been changed, you are being changed, and you will be changed. It's living in the already, but the not yet. And that's what kingdom culture has been all about, right? That the kingdom of God has come, it's coming, and it will come. And all three of those things make sense. That God started a work in us, but he's still working in us. And he will finish his work in us. That it's happened, it's happening, and it will happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this. And we all, with unveiled faces, with unveiled faces, meaning those of us who have placed our hope and reliance on God and Christ, those of us who have placed our hope in Christ, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed. Hold on to that. Are being transformed. That we're being changed. That we're in process. That this journey is happening. That we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Man, that verse is so rich. Hold on to that thought. Are being transformed. Now, you scientists in here, there's this term called metamorphosis, right, which basically explains this process from an animal going into a new creature, basically, that it physically develops, that there's an abrupt change in its structure, almost causing it to have new source of nutrition and behavior. It's a process with ever-increasing glory. If you could put that verse back up there, and, and the word where it says transformed translates directly into metamorphosis, that we are in this uphill trajectory that we're going from glory to glory. This is the cool part, that God started a work in us. He put a deposit in us that we, that we were changed, but we're being transformed, that we're being changed with ever-increasing glory, meaning that when you're a Christ follower, it starts, and it's just an uphill trajectory from there, that we're going from glory to glory, that we're moving from glory to glory, that we're being transformed and being changed into what Christ wants us to be. Metamorphosis, though. This process takes time. And so, so does your process. It takes time. So does your change. It takes time. And you probably won't even notice it. Change doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. A series of small acts and habits. It's not a microwave product. And matter of fact, it might feel boring sometimes, but over time it proves to be fruitful. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different? Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but I'm married now? Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but I'm in Kansas now? Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but your marriage is restored? Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but that destructive habit you were struggling with is kicked to the curb? Isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but you finally got some healthy friendships around you? That first change is a moment, but the rest of our lives, God is sanctifying us, and we are being transformed into ever-increasing glory. 
But on social media, we see all the things that happen overnight. But strong marriages don't just happen. Great, healthy friendships don't just happen. You see the graduation pictures, but you don't see the behind the scenes of great parenting and patience and conversations about not lying, conversations about, honey, you can't sneak out at night. Honey, you can't see little Tommy because he's bad for you. Honey, <laughs> I need you to make smart decisions because it matters. You don't see all the great parents in the background, but you see the graduation pictures. It's a journey that God is walking with us day in and day out. And yes, and amen, glory to God, we're being transformed. And we never even really get the medal until we get to heaven. But isn't it so freeing that we don't have to be perfect? But so many of us fall into the trap of, why didn't it happen sooner? Then we get down on ourselves and end up back in bondage all over again because of the guilt and shame that that produces. So tell someone, next time they point out your fault, I'm in process, it's a journey. I'm being transformed. Don't beat yourself up. Shame and guilt does not produce what God wants to produce inside of you. And this year, one thing I've learned a lot is having patience and grace with myself when I've messed up and even when others don't. In those moments that you've messed up, man, practice giving it over to God and realize that it's a journey. For example, here's one thing that just does not come naturally to me. It's, it's, it's outwardly processing emotions, okay? Like, man, some of you guys are pros to that. You feel it, you let it out. You feel angry, you yell. You feel sad, you cry. And it's just, it's, it comes so easy to you, but it just doesn't come to me. A room full of people crying makes me feel so awkward. It really does. I can't, like at my grandma's funeral, and I loved my grandma, my grandma's funeral, though, everybody was crying. And there goes little Nate in the corner just standing awkwardly. I didn't know what to do. I think my mom almost gave me a spanking for not crying. It was bad. I don't know what it is, but too many emotions in a room can just wear me out. But it can get so bad that people even think that I'm, I'm indifferent to their emotions, which is not the case, which I'm working on. But I felt guilty about that. Now, one thing that my wife does really well is actually practice God's patience with me in this. She really does. Matter of fact, over Thanksgiving, uh, we were at the dinner table with my sister and, uh, and, and Shelby, my wife, was, was, was talking about man, how rough this year has been and how um, she's a teacher. She hasn't gotten to see her kids and how she sometimes cries because of that. And I, my sister, she loves to set me up. She loves to set me up. I could see her. She, and she asked my wife this question. She's like, oh, really? You were crying? And what did Nate do when you were crying? I could tell she was trying to set me up. Now, Shelby's so nice. She's, she's so kind. She tried to picture, she tried to frame it in a way that didn't sound bad. Uh, but ultimately, she's like, basically, he has a confused look on his face, and he doesn't know what to do, right? Now, I'm in process. It's a journey. I'm in process. But imagine if Shelby didn't have patience and grace with me on that. If she called all her friends, told them how disappointed she is in me and how I'm a terrible husband, and how I just don't care, would that motivate me to change? Probably not. And it's the same case with you and God. God is not up there so disappointed in you and, and, and telling everybody how bad of a person you are. No, his mercies 
are new every single morning. You're in process, and this is a journey. Now, this is not a license to just keep on living in sin. This is not a license to keep messing up. But it's a journey. You are being transformed. So what's your role in this change? It's pretty simple, actually. Your role in this is to simply eat. In metamorphosis, a caterpillar's main role is to eat and to eat a lot. As it's being transformed, its role is to eat and just eat. And same thing with you. Your role in this change process is to feast on the things of God is to eat so much of the things of God as he's transforming you. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, that word metamorphosis again, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that the renewing of your mind happens is by eating and feasting on the word of God. When we meditate on God's word, we see God's son. Then the spirit transforms us, and we go from glory to glory, and we are being transformed in that process. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. As you eat on the things of God, as you stay rooted and stay planted in the word of God, he is transforming your life. You are progressively being transformed into his likeness. But the second thing you got to feast on is the fellowship of the body of Christ, the local church. Men, that big word, the big C word, community. You got to take advantage of community. You can't do this alone. You need the local church. You need people around you that are going to challenge you. The local church is full of people that are going to root you on, encourage you, but also call you out and challenge you. But one of the main reasons why we struggle with this is because there is such a heavy push for this narrative of self-reliance that the media pushes out, that movies play out, that I'm independent, I'm the hero of my story, and I don't need anybody else. But God's word contradicts that in so many ways. You need people. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, pity the person who falls but has no one to help him get up. It's a sad state. You need people, and you need the body of Christ. There's so much fruit and change that comes from rubbing up against God's people. Personally, I would not have gone through my college years in crazy South Florida if it wasn't for the local church. Have people in my life and men, older men, who would challenge me, who would tell me, actually, no, this is not the way. Actually, no, this is a bad idea. Actually, no, this is an unhealthy relationship. But this right here is the way. That would walk alongside me. You need the body of Christ. You need the local church if you want to see true change. But it's so hard because being known is scary. Vulnerability doesn't come natural to us. If I could stay in my cocoon, 
Nobody will know what I'm actually really struggling with, and I won't be fully known. But freedom is found in the context of community, and you can't do it alone. As we're wrapping this up, the main thing I want to let you know is that the power to change is available to you today. The power to change, it's available to you today. Whether you came here and you're not yet a Christ follower, or you've been doing this Christian thing for a while now, the power to change is available to you. It's available to you. My hope is that by next week, we'd see a bunch of Jessicas running around the lobby, all looking refreshed, a noticeable change inside of all of us, myself included, that there will be a noticeable change in, 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 of just being refreshed inside of us that truly comes from the change that the Holy Spirit can give us. That we will be transformed by the word of God. But not only that, as Christ followers, like the verse says, we're moving from glory to glory. This doesn't end up until we get to heaven. That we've been changed but that we're being changed, that we're being changed on this uphill trajectory towards Christ and being transformed and being shaped and molded to be more like Christ.